Truth News Network. Prices out of control, threatening an end of fossil fuels, orphaning 400 million cars, millions of trucks, airplanes. Are we having fun yet? Every tick of the clock promising more misery as we bankrupt the middle class. Life as written by Harlan Ellison. Shake your head, take a deep breath, because you're with TNN. The Truth News Network. And with some light, here's Dan Newman. Pete Moss just kind of floated through those horrible things that you and I are dealing with. Like, oh well, this is just another day in Biden land, right? <laughs> That's what it is, folks, and there's very little you and a guy, uh, we just can't do anything about it. U.S. Congress can't do anything about this president. Oh, they could. They could call him to question and uh, use the I word if necessary to get truthful answers out of him. But they're not going to do that. Nancy Pelosi, anyway, she's uh, the Speaker of the House. She's the only one that could initiate that. And she's over there uh, schmooching up to Xi Jinping. Well, not really. But I think she would like to do that. She actually, I, I do believe this. She thinks she could fix all the ills in the world if they would just listen to her. Oh my gosh. In a rare moment of me being totally transparent to you, and I said that figuratively because I'm transparent to you all the time, those that are close to me will tell you I'm one of the most transparent people on the planet Earth. And let me tell you quickly why. I learned as a young boy in South Louisiana where my mother never hesitated to grab the closest thing, a switch, a shoe, a big metal spoon, whatever she could get to quickly. And uh, she made sure that I was in the right way of thinking. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I didn't ever, I never had time to think through the right answer, you know, to put the right answer together for mom to keep her from grabbing that paraphernalia and whooping the snot out of me. Um, I am transparent. But sometimes you got to just be careful about what you say in the company of people you say it. And you, I I know you know what I'm talking about. You've got yourself in that conundrum before. Maybe once, maybe twice, right? Just a couple of times. I'm joking. We slip and we do things like that all the time. But you know why? We're humans. We're humans. And we need to recognize the human element. It's okay to disagree with anybody in your life. I'm talking about disagreeing with your husband, your wife, your children, your bosses, people that you work with every day. It's okay to disagree with people. But what's not okay is when you throw that wall up, that barrier, if and when you disagree with them, and you make no attempts to reconcile, what does that word mean? It means when one has differences with others, that person will go to those with whom he or she has the differences and at least attempt in good faith to work out the differences and to find some commonality on the other end. We just don't see that happening in the United States political system today. I mean, look at the deal that is pending now in the U.S. Senate. This, I don't even know what to call it, but I will tell you what it is. It's a big pile of horse manure. And it stinks, and when it stinks, it smells just like recession. 
How did Majority Leader Schumer in the Senate, how did and what did he use to get Joe Manchin the lone, the lone Democrat voice and government in West Virginia. Do you know the state of West Virginia is almost entirely Republican? Donald Trump won there by 40 points. So here's Joe Manchin, one of two senators in West Virginia. West Virginia is a cold state. They're a cold state. There is no question about it. And in this new bill that is being proposed right now, it strips West Virginians of their coal industry, period. Well, wait a minute. Wouldn't because this is a Democrat bill and Joe Manchin is a Democrat, wouldn't it be wise for them to not do that? Well, yes, it would, but doing the right thing doesn't matter a whole lot in this administration or in this Congress right now, for that matter. It's all about one thing, finding something that they can get a lot of people to agree with that if it ever happens, it will strip all of the remaining power away from the dissenting party, which is, by the way, the GOP, the Republican Party. And I'm talking about the far left um, climate activist, that wing of the Democrat Party that is pulling this nation down to the depths of the ocean in every possible way that you can think of. The only explanation anybody can give that makes sense for what Joe Manchin looks like he's going to do, this bill's not done. They're a long way from getting that vote. You understand what the parliamentarian in the Senate does? That's the person that has the sole power to look at each and every piece of legislation being considered when it has anything to do with dollars. And... Those kind of issues have got to be handled in the context of it takes 60 votes to get even to the floor to be considered that piece of legislation. And that's if it deals with dollars and cents. This one obviously does. And in the case like this, when something comes up like this, the parliamentarian has to break apart the parts of the bill and determine that each one of them passed that muster. It's got to fit in this slot. If it doesn't, it can't be done in a reconciliation format. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is when in the United States Senate, it only takes 50% plus one, a simple majority to get a bill passed. Now, why is that such a big deal? The way the Senate was structured, and it's because... It's not the representative direct representation of the populace. That falls to the House of Representatives. Initially, when the Constitution was set, the two senators to the state were both appointed by governors. They were not elected by the people. And that's because the Senate supposedly represents the states in our federal government. Therefore, these senators would deal and be go-betweens between the governors of all 50 states and Congress. They, of course, didn't like it. They being the career politicians. I started to say career criminals. (laughs) In some cases, that went applicable. 
They wanted the idea, we need to campaign for office. That's the only way we can really raise money. So they forced it through and got it done so that the people elect senators too. All that being said, if you look at Joe Biden in the vacuum of West Virginia and what West Virginia is all about economically and what West Virginians are all about and look at their swing to the right, hard swing to the right over the last couple of decades, very conservative people, working class people. And if this bill does get passed in the Senate, of course, they'll put it together with the version housed in, uh, passed in the House, and Biden will certainly sign it into law. If that happens, Joe Manchin will have almost single-handedly, because he would be the one that would be the deciding vote to make this bill happen, he's going to shut down more coal plants in Virginia at the behest of the climate fanatics that are pushing that part of this bill wanting it done, wanting it passed. And if he does that, he's directly, by his actions, putting, I don't know how many Virginians, West Virginians, out of work, but a bunch of them. And think about the millions of dollars that are gone. But that's not the worst. Listen to this. West Virginians' coal has fueled I don't know how many institutions, how many private corporations, how many schools, how many cities and towns. Coal, clean coal, which all of Virginia's coal production has been turned to. The most fuel-efficient type of mining coal. It's driven that part of the nation. I'm talking about Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, for decades, for generations. And if this bill goes through, it will turn that train, the coal train, that's been just eking forward since Donald Trump wasn't reelected. It was rolling during the Trump administration. It's going to shut down West Virginia's economy like no one could imagine. And Joe Biden will be the guy that'll, that's the one that did that. Do you think he'll get railroaded out of the state of West Virginia? You know, he doesn't have an apartment or a, uh, a, a house in Washington, D.C. He kind of lives the high life while Congress is in session. He has a nice yacht. Yeah, a yacht. And he pilots that, or he has a captain that pilots that yacht up the Potomac and moors it permanently during legislative sessions, and he and his wife live on his own yacht. So I guess maybe if it really gets bad, they can uh, untie the yacht and let it float out in the middle of the Potomac and anchor it there so nobody can pick at them. These fanatics, folks, they would be in motorboats out there circling his yacht 24 hours a day. It's not going to be good for the people of West Virginia, and it's certainly not going to be good for Joe Manchin. So, listen, Kirsten Cinema, she made it very clear yesterday, I'm not decided. I'm waiting for the determination of the legality, based on Senate rules, of even taking up this piece of legislation. And it would be based upon what I told you 
at the beginning of this. Well, welcome to Tuesday. Once again, I apologize for the equipment faux pas that happened yesterday at the beginning of the show. We found out what the issue was, obviously. We corrected it, and we sound just like we're supposed to sound today. Maybe that isn't good, but it is what it is, folks. This is all you get here at TNN Live. Top of the next hour, I'm really excited about this. We have a special guest, not in the studio. He'll be calling in. Um, You're going to like this guy. His name is Frank Lopez Jr. Frank Lopez Jr. I'll tell you just a little bit about him. He is a lifer. He's a Border Patrol agent. He recently retired from the Border Patrol, and he decided he needed to find another way to serve the people of his part of Texas. He decided to run for for Congress. And uh, the big thing about Frank running for this particular seat is this seat is currently occupied by a guy named Tony Gonzalez. Now, you you may remember in the midst of all of the uproar between Democrats and Republicans, especially in South Texas, there were a handful of Democrats down there that were seeing the light about the bad stuff going on in the Biden administration, and they flipped. Also, previously, in the Trump administration, the last couple of years, illegal immigration was the big topic down there, and several of these Democrat lawmakers down there, they flipped and joined their Republican counterparts to push the administration to go really hard to stop illegal immigration. So a guy named Tony Gonzalez was a a Democrat down there, held that seat. He was, he just, he just turned totally away from the Democrat party. And he got a lot of publicity. He got a lot of big money, obviously, from people that were trying to flip any and all of those seats from blue to red. And he won that seat and he won it as a Republican. So why would Frank Lopez run against him. I'll let Frank tell you about it, but I promise you it's an intriguing story and you don't want to miss it. He'll be here at straight up 10 o'clock central time. So make sure if you have to get away, you're going to be back in plenty of time. You don't want to miss that. Good news overnight, I guess. U.S. takes out Al-Qaeda leader Al-Zawari. You remember that name? It floated around for years and he was in Afghanistan. Now, wait a minute. Joe Biden told us the, one of his excuses for pulling out of Afghanistan was Al-Qaeda's not over here building and training these new terrorists anymore. There's no need for us to be here. Well, why the heck do you think Al-Zawari would be there? He was a leader. Anyway, we're told he's dead, killed in a drone strike in Afghanistan. Now, let me just take you for a second back to Afghanistan. And I want to I want to talk to you about the cost to you and me, the cost to the American people, the cost to the United States of America. I'm not talking about dollars and cents that we spent in the 10 years we were there, 20 years we were there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the cost to the the fabric of our nation. We lost our credibility there. Joe Biden just took us right to the tank, having any credibility. He 
he tried over and over and over again, as he does in every single case of uh, foreign policy matters. He's done it for 50 years. He's never been right one time on any major foreign policy issue when he was in the Senate, when he was vice president, and now as president. It's almost like there's a line and there's yes and no after every big thing that comes up in foreign policy. Yes, I'm going to agree with this, or no, I'm going to agree with this. And it's like every time Joe clicks the wrong box. Afghanistan is a huge example of it. Who in their right mind would dare say that the process of removing our military from Afghanistan was well-planned, well-thought-out, and was successful? I know of only one person that does, and that's Joe Biden. He tells everybody it went really smoothly. Well, let's just look at that for a second. How do you define smoothly in that kind of case? Wouldn't you think it would be a great idea that you put a plan in place and that that plan was looked at and edited, revised, other people brought in to make sure that all of the moving parts in such a big deal, it was a monumental thing to remove our military and our diplomats, for that matter, from Afghanistan. There were thousands of American people. Many of them were over there living, had been living over there, affiliated, working with, maybe an extended basis, but working with our military, our diplomatic corps, and had homes over there. Many military members fell in love while they were there, and married, and settled down, had families. Donald Trump had a specific plan in place for withdrawal. Joe Biden lied out of his teeth and said they got no plan. Well, Joe may have never seen it, but it was handed off, and there was a written plan. Joe Biden said, never was. Yeah, we had a copy of it here at TNN Live. There was a plan. Joe thumbed his nose at it, just like almost without any exception. He just went ahead, he flew by the seat of his pants and made a knee-jerk reaction, probably talking to Nancy Pelosi on the phone, and bam, let's pull out. Oh, we're going to leave $82 billion worth of military hardware and supplies and equipment at Bagram Air Base, which we should have kept for all time. That is the closest air base to our biggest enemy on the planet, China. Well, guess who's got it now? China's working their way back in to take that and use it for a military front base for the Chinese military. Okay, so he pulled out. We all watched the horrors in Kabul as people were fighting just to get through those gates to get on one of those U.S. military transport planes leaving. People on takeoff, holding on to the wheels of jets and falling from the sky to their death, they were so desperate to get away from what they knew was certain with the American military leaving that was going to happen to people in Afghanistan. And it's happening. Muslim nations, not all Muslim nations, but Muslim nations, 
that are led by hardcore far leftist Muslims, and I don't want to say terrorists because that's not necessarily so. They're really tough on their population. The leaders are. And that's just simply a fact. And there are a lot of Muslims that don't like to live in that environment and they don't like to be painted as being part of that process. Joe Biden pulling out of Afghanistan like he did, he put, I don't know how many, but thousands, tens of thousands, maybe millions of Afghani people that subscribe to that. Let's be peaceful. Let's get along with our neighbors. We may disagree on a lot of things, politics, religion, but let's find a way to coexist. Radical Islamist, that mindset doesn't exist. And if somebody has it, you're liable to be either beheaded, shot in the back, or thrown off the roof of a 10-story building. Literally, that happens over and over again. One of the most disturbing YouTube videos I've ever seen. Someone sent it to me out of the clear air. No explanation. I opened it up and it was a picture. It was kind of like right at dusk, you know, so that it was dark. You couldn't really see a lot. But it was a multi-story building, maybe six, seven, eight floors. And it was just, the camera was looking up at the top of that roof. And all of a sudden you saw like a black big sack be thrown off that building and it just went down and splattered on the ground. 30 seconds later, another one, another one, another one. There were five of them. You know what they were? They were homosexual men that had been uh, 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 confronted with their homosexuality, which is a real, real no-no in Islam. Yeah. I kind of said, yeah, for a purpose, and I think you probably get it. Denial does happen, but denial doesn't necessarily mean somebody's not what they're accused of being. All that being said, there were five of those that were thrown off the building. Those were homosexual men. That's the kind of country that Muslim people run from. They can't stand to live in that oppressive environment. I don't blame them. So all of a sudden... We pull out, and it was a horrible pullout and all that kind of, We could go through the details. I'll just tell you the worst one that proves how disconnected Joe Biden is. Those 12 U.S. service members that were blown up by that suicide bomber right at the gates of the airport, 12 U.S. military personnel died at the hands of a suicide bomber. When, when the explosive remnants were laboratory tested that came from that suicide bomber. The source, the source of the dynamite, whatever they use, C4, I don't know what it was, but it can be tracked to the place where it's made. Any kind of explosive like that, they can look at it and they know where it came from because all of that is artificially manipulated and turned into being explosive. That suicide bomb was made from C4 that Joe Biden left at Bagram Air Base. So his pulling out like he did, he instigated the deaths, the needless deaths of 12 Americans at the hands of stuff that he left there. 
All that being said, folks, we have a problem. We have a lot of problems. And if you don't feel comfortable praying for Joe Biden for anything other than this, pray for this and pray this way. It's sometimes hard for me to pray the right way. I know how I want to pray, and I'm a praying guy. But I want to pray the right way. The Bible calls that don't ask amiss. In other words, don't make a stupid request. Don't question God. Just do it. Here's what I would encourage you to do. God, give Joe Biden the vision and the understanding how important his decisions are and how important it is for him to not make his decisions based on politics, but in every case, base it upon the structure of the United States government that he heads up and that he swore an oath to serve and protect and that every decision he makes is based on the contents of the United States Constitution and any and all of the duly passed laws by federal representatives of the people and by state governments that represent their people. If Joe Biden would flip in his mindset, I don't know if it could be done. I really don't. I don't have any idea. I think he is pretty much a fly by the seat of his pants every morning when he wakes up. Sometimes, maybe many times, he doesn't remember what happened yesterday. And I'm not laughing about that. My mother died. My mother died young. And in a matter of less than a year and a half, she went from beginning stage Alzheimer's to all she did was sit in a wheelchair and look blindly around. She couldn't speak. She didn't talk. She didn't recognize anybody for three years before she died. It's a horrendous way to go. And I I despise it. I think it's horrible. I pray every day. God, give some scientist somewhere the cure, the understanding of the origins of Alzheimer's so we can attack that and do away with it. Same thing about cancer. I'm not saying Joe Biden is that way or headed that way, but, you know, when it quacks and waddles, it's pretty much always a duck. If you call it Alzheimer's, if you call it cognitive decline, if you call it being just short memory, whatever you want to call it, it's not good for any president of the United States to have it. And whatever version of that, Joe Biden certainly got it. So what do we have coming up? Told you top of the hour, Frank Lopez Jr. going to be with us. I'm excited about having him on. You know, we talk about the southern border stuff all the time. We're getting it secondhand. We play some audio sound bites from people that are down there in the know, but we're going to talk to a guy today at 10 o'clock, Frank Lopez Jr. His whole career, he was right there working on it. He knows exactly what's going on, what changed from the Trump administration, and how serious it is. We're also going to hear from him about how important it is that he, in the upcoming primary, gets the, the nod to confront the Democrat that's running down there instead of Tony Gonzalez, who holds the seat right now and is a turncoat. 
He was a longtime Democrat, and all of a sudden he flipped. He decided he was on the wrong side, and I pat him on the back for that. He flipped. He uh, got under the guidance of minority leader Kevin McCarthy. He's being uh, supported by Kevin McCarthy, and uh, he's done apparently a good job at doing what he could down there. Frank Lopez will tell us more about that at the top of the next hour. In just a moment, just a moment, we're going to get into the details, the real nitty-gritty details. And I want you to hear these of what's at stake in this Joe Manchin, Joe Biden inflation buster bill that the Senate is considering. And they have made, Chuck Schumer said it, we're going to pass that this week. This week, the first time the substance of the bill came out where anybody could look at it was last Thursday. But they're going to pass it, a $700 billion spending bill by Friday. We're going to open the conversation right after this. When playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners. I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine, leave behind a better world. Starbucks Via Instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. So it's the only instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks Via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black flavored lattes and iced coffee. What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy. And I'm teaming up with Turtle Wax this summer to make sure your rides are clean, shiny, protected, and even disinfected. Because whether you're hitting the streets or heading out on the highway to the beach, Turtle Wax will make sure your vehicle is looking, smelling, and feeling amazing. Turtle Wax is the only brand that I trust with my fleet of supercars. And y'all know how many cars I keep in my garage, right? Check out TurtleWax.com to learn more and be sure to buy now at TurtleWax.com or anywhere you shop for car care. While some compromise to be nice, others aggressively hold to the truth. Guess which one we are. TNN, the Truth News Network. A P.S. on our conversation about Afghanistan. There are still hundreds of American citizens that are caught behind lines, enemy lines, across Afghanistan that Joe Biden left. He actually left. This is the first time in U.S. history that any president in a situation like this has left any citizens 
behind enemy lines. And as far as we know, we never hear, see about anything that Joe Biden, anybody in his administration has done to go help those people. There are some NGOs, non-government organizations that have been very successful at getting many of these people out, working through other nation governments to do it. And our government can't do that? Surely we can do that. No mention, not a time, any public mentioned about anybody. It's crazy what's going on. And then there's this recession, inflation stuff, and it's just batted around like a ping pong ball. The substance of what this whole thing means has been lost on the Democrat Party, has been lost on the mainstream media. I guess mainstream media, everybody but Stephen Colbert. Did you hear in a moment of sanity, late night host Stephen Colbert had his audience in stitches over this complicit corporate media that have backed Joe Biden's claims that the United States is not in a recession. So we're in a recession, or are we, he said. According to the White House, two consecutive quarters of economic contraction does not in and of itself constitute a recession. This is Colbert talking. Thankfully, we have cable news to cut through all the spin and give us some straight answers. So his comedic breakdown of the reporting on the economy, uh, it started about halfway through a video, and I've watched the video. Obviously, we can't play videos here. Um, But anyway, here's kind of what it said. The 58-year-old asked about the United States experiencing back-to-back quarters of negative growth. What does that mean historically? And then Cole Bear played a CNN soundbite in response to the question. Every single time since 1948 that you've had back-to-back quarters of negative growth, you've had a recession. Every time. That's from a CNN reporter, Matt Egan. So that's the case this time. Colbert tried to clarify. Then you press play and you could hear Egan continue. That may not necessarily be the case this time. It has every time since 1948 But nobody says, here's why it may not necessarily be the case this time. Oh, there are some very vapid excuses that are thrown out there. You know, things are different now. We have different elements. We had a pandemic. You know, we got to be careful when we use the R word. Colbert was trying to get to the bottom of the issue that apparently has fact checkers pouncing on supposed misinformation now about the meaning of the word recession. Okay, he said, still recession-wise, we should be able to use history as a guide, right? MSNBC, Colbert asked, before playing a clip of a female speaking on the left-leaning network. We really don't know how far we can or cannot use history as a guide. That's from British editor-at-large at the Financial Times, Gillian Tett said, Sure, Colbert shot back, but at the bare minimum, on the GDP, gross domestic product, next quarter, up or down? The response from the video. This is a number that could turn positive, could turn more negative. CNN's Christine Roman said, 
in the next clip. Okay, last question. Do you need any qualifications at all to go on TV and talk about the economy? Colbert is mocking. In an MSNB soundbite, a talking head replied, it's really impossible to tell. So all of you are just taking stabs in the dark like you wandered blindfolded into a cave. Colbert is concluding before cutting back to a CNN reporter that asked, where are we? How long is the tunnel? Do we know? (laughs) Thank you, cable news. Colbert praised jokingly. So economically now, we have a couple of big 900-pound gorillas. We have one, it's inflation. And the second one is recession. Now I'm going to scare the bejesus out of some of you when I tell you this. During the night last night, and especially coming from across the pond to the east, some real economists, learned, been around for generations, looking at all of the civilized world. I'm talking about Europe and Asia, Australia, other developed countries. They're looking closely and watching history. They're throwing another word into the mix for consideration now. The I word, the R word, and the D word. The I word obviously is inflation. The R word is recession. D word is depression. That is a scary thought. So how do we turn all of that into a conversation that we can have together and it be cohesive and make sense? How can we do that? I'm not sure that I can do it in just 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. I really don't think I can. But let's talk about our basic thing. What starts it all? Inflation. And people can argue about the recession, certainly about the depression. But you can't argue. Well, you can, but not logically, about Joe Biden's inflation how bad it is and where the heck we're headed. Senate Democrats striking a deal on a massive spending bill aimed at reducing inflation. What a dichotomy. Yeah, I don't really think it is, but (laughs) I'm going to read. You read that and we'll go with that. All right. (laughs) Senator Joe Manchin doubting the Inflation Reduction Act as a bill for America, claiming it will lower drug costs, increase energy security, and even reduce America's debt. But what are the hidden costs? Here to break it down, Fox News contributor and former House Oversight Committee Chairman Jason Chaffetz. Jason, welcome. And uh, first of all, how does Joe Manchin get on board with a bill that essentially attacks coal? Look, what you got to understand about this bill is that it's not done yet. Kirsten Cinema has not weighed in yet. They got Joe Manchin, and he went against his pledges. It raises taxes, which... He said he shouldn't do. Even Barack Obama said we shouldn't raise taxes during a recession. Uh, the other thing is it's a massive spending bill. Remember, earlier in the week, they passed the CHIPS bill. Yeah. So if you had the CHIPS bill plus what they're trying to do in reconciliation, it's $700 billion in new spending. Don't tell me that it's going to reduce inflation. 
They're going to pour more money into the economy. What's that going to do? And the other thing is that's not going to reduce the deficit. They're counting on hundreds of billions of dollars in new revenue by IRS tax enforcement, which never comes to fruition. I don't care what you say, folks. It doesn't come to fruition. So beware of this bill. I don't know how Joe Manchin, when this bill raises taxes uh, on coal production yeah. in West Virginia. Yeah. Good luck explaining that to the good people of West Virginia. And meanwhile, in China, they're building coal plants. <laughs> um, and by the way, the bill also um, is being touted by uh, Al Gore because it has so much of the climate goodies that they want in it. Is this the trick that they take something called the Inflation Reduction Act and they basically are tucking all the Green New Deal stuff into it because they know they can't pass it, but they just put it in behind these kinds of There meetings. is no justification by spending $700 billion with these two bills that you can say you are going to reduce inflation. I think it's going to have the exact opposite effect. We're spending more than six uh, trillion dollars in this country, 25% of our GDP, one out of every $4 in this country is being spent by the federal government. This is the problem, folks. The $1.9 trillion that you passed last year exacerbated the problem. Pouring another $700 billion is not going to solve it. And when you have people like John Kerry and Elizabeth Warren and those greenies out there saying, oh, this is the best green bill ever to pass. Ever. How does Joe Manchin get behind that? That's just unbelievable to me. Great uh, editorial in the Wall Street Journal today for this. What was the deal that Manchin struck in order to do this? There has to be a quid pro quo in this. You know it. Joe Manchin is not a stupid guy. He's been around for a long time. The people of West Virginia know him well, and he knows the people of West Virginia. There's something in the wind, something all of a sudden happened over the weekend and we just wake up and Manchin's uh, hugging Chuck Schumer and they're both saying, yeah, we cut a deal. When Manchin over and over and over again made it very clear he was not going to vote for a bill that increased spending. I mean, he said it over and over himself. You can't spend more money in an inflation. You just can't do it. $700 billion, that's what he's got in front of him if this bill passes and you know it'll be signed into law. So instead of looking at our, oh, our just amazing economist over here, especially those of the uh, Democrat ilk, I like to turn to a guy from the UK that came to the US and has his citizenship here and he has the ability in just two-minute little bits of information just set the truth out there about pretty much anything and everything that's economical and how it impacts us here in the U.S. Stuart Varney I'm talking about. It's called the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, but it won't reduce inflation. We are told that only the rich will pay more in tax. That's not true. You'll pay more even if you make less than 200000 a year. It's supposed to cut the deficit, uh, but not until 2027. The president says he wants a renaissance for manufacturing, but this tax plan hits American manufacturers very hard. Oh dear, what a mess. What a dreadful mishmash of bad policy. Despite it all, however, there's a mad rush to get this giant tax and spend bill passed. Senator Schumer has just five days to get it done. 
because summer recess, that begins this Friday night. He's got to get every Democrat senator on board and voting in person. So there can't be a COVID isolation problem. You've got to be there on the floor. This is no way to fight inflation or recession. It's a last-minute plan cobbled together so the Democrats can get a tax-and-spend package on the books before the November elections. I hope at least one Democrat in the Senate figures out that the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 is bad policy and bad politics, too. You know, that's the way the Democrats flow, though. I mean, look at the name of this bill. It's an inflation killer. It's a bill that's going to reverse inflation, they're telling us. It does nothing like they say it's going to do. How many people are caught up in that narrative and just accept what they say? Just because that's our government people talking, so we got to believe. You know, I've been a registered Democrat, my mom and dad, my grandma, my grandpa, all our uncles and aunts. We're we're Democrats. We're going to vote Democrat regardless of what the issue is because we believe in the Democrat Party. There are tens of millions of people that think that way. It's sad, but it's true. And of course, they look at everybody from the South, every Republican, they look at us as rubes. Rubes. I don't know about you, but I kind of got my hand on what's going on. I understand it. I do. And I believe most of you do as well. And uh, I think we're being just passed over. I think there's no realistic way to express it other than that. Um, I think we're headed for even worse trouble than we're in right now. And it could get really bad. And I'm not pulling any levers or sending up any red balloons. I'm not saying the sky is falling. I'm not doing that. What I am saying is... What we're living through right now is not unprecedented in the United States. I mean, 76 to 80 was a time when there were a lot of people that were hungry, couldn't pay bills, couldn't make mortgage payments. Prices went through the roof. Incomes, real incomes went down because of inflation. Jimmy Carter ushered all of that in, and Democrats just accepted it. That was... Like I said, that's what Democrats do. That's not the way government in the United States is supposed to happen. It's supposed to be representative of the people, you and me. There should be constant conversations between those who represent us and us, we the people. That doesn't happen. We elect them. They make promises to us. If you elect me, here's what I'm going to do when I get there. They get there. They do very little, if any, of what they promised to do. That's just the way it is. Everybody roll with it. That's just the way it is. And then you have somebody like uh, Donald Trump comes along. Ronald Reagan came along. That think differently. They say, wait a minute, we've got this wrong. We're supposed to be listening to the people that we represent about what government is going to do and what they want from us, not the other way around. I mean, we had a soundbite we played the other day, and I forget the representative's name. He was talking to one of his constituents, and he said, I don't work for you, which is exactly opposite of the truth. He's supposed to work for us. 
They're supposed to work for us, and technically, legally, they do. But perceptually, not so much, folks. These people just, many of them, they don't have any consciousness about the reality of the way it's supposed to be. And you know why? Because they're seeing it play out the way that it's it's being operated now. And they've seen that it's played out that way for decades. And so therefore, it's become a normal. This is the way we do it. We just come up here and do what leadership in each party want us to do. And that's the way government runs, and everybody knows that's the way government's going to run, so just gripe about it all you want to, but you're not going to change anything up here. We're doing what we are going to do. Neil Kashkari, you've heard the name before. We've talked about him here. He's the president of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve. He poured cold water on any optimism that the Federal Reserve could rein in inflation and begin lowering interest rates by 2023. Bond market prices imply that following consecutive interest rate hikes of three-quarters of a percent in June and July, by the way, that's the largest two-month increase in 30 years by the Fed, investors expect the Federal Reserve to get inflation under control, then lowering interest rates sometimes next year. But Kashkari said that such hopes are premature. He's suggesting that investors' predictions for near-term rate decreases is misguided since inflation is stubbornly persisting. We are committed to bring inflation down. We're going to do what we need to do. We're a long way away from achieving an economy that is back at 2% inflation, and that's where we need to go, he said on Face the Nation. Kashkari also told the New York Times he doesn't know what the bond market is looking at to determine that rates would come down in 2023, adding that the bar would be very, very high to lower those rates. When interest goes up, bond prices go up because more and more people are buying bonds. Why? Because it's like saving money you get paid more. When interest rates at your bank go up, with the banks paying for certificates of deposit and even on checking accounts, as the interest rates go up, they pay higher rates. More people come and put money in the banks. This is in part due to the fact, he said, that interest rates will likely have to come up considerably more to adequately tackle inflation. That's according to E.J. Antoni, Research Fellow for Regional Economics at the Heritage Foundation. The last time inflation was this high, the federal funds rate was over 13%. Last week's interest rate was the latest development in the Fed's campaign to lower the demand in the economy and ultimately bring down prices. But Kashkari doesn't see many encouraging signs that such steps have begun to work in the Fed can begin to ease off. In other words, folks, we're way up at the front of this entire thing. We are nowhere, nowhere close to even coming up with what it takes to answer the questions, yet alone create a process to change anything. Joe Biden has shown the world how ineffective 
making decisions on the fly is, especially at the level that involves uh, 330 million people that you answer to. There are so many moving parts, it's impossible for our government that's comprised of 535 elected people in Congress, Joe Biden and a vice president, and then a plethora of bureaucrats that are appointed in various posts. Thousands of people work in the federal government, hundreds of thousands, and they don't have the answers. And then you got Joe Biden out there. He acts like everything's cool. He just completed his sixth quarter in office and has a historically low average approval rating of just 40%. This is a Gallup poll. This average represents the lowest sixth quarter. Now, that spans April 20th to July 19th. The lowest sixth quarter results for a first-term president in history and comes on the back of a July poll by Gallup, which found Biden's approval had fallen to 38% that month. Among independents, fell to the lowest levels on record. Only 31% approved. 78% approval among Democrats is tied for his lowest score with them, according to Gallup. Now, all this comes as a USA Today Suffolk University poll finds that half of Democrat voters, they want a presidential candidate in 2024 other than Joe Biden. That doesn't sound good, does it? It would be extremely unusual for Biden to make significant gains in the seventh quarter as the only previous president to do that was George H.W. Bush. Biden's approval amongst Republicans remains in the single digits at 5%, which is comparable to opposition party approval among recent predecessors, Barack Obama and Donald Trump. According to Gallup, 87% of Republicans, 43% of independents strongly disapprove of Biden's tenure, while just 6% of Democrats strongly disapprove. Overall, 69% of those polled either moderately or strongly disapprove of Biden's tenure. Now, Gallup does not always ask about the intensity of approval or disapproval. 87% represents the highest strongly disapproved rating by any opposition party on record. Only 83% of Dems strongly disapproved of Trump. I would have thought it had been in the high 90s, wouldn't you? 81% strongly disapproved of George W. Bush at the height of their disapproval, his and Donald's, according to Gallup. In contrast, only 75% of Republicans strongly disapproved of Obama at the peak of their disapproval. It's interesting when the pollsters do these jobs. We we get the stats they give us, like I just gave you, but we don't get the exact questions and the way questions are asked and the order in which these questions are asked to these people that are being polled. Why am I telling you that? Because you can manipulate polls by the way you ask questions. I mean, you can you can put a eight-word sentence out there and just read it cold. You can have one of those computers just read it cold. There's no emotion. There's no vocal inflection. 
And so there's only one way it can be interpreted. But you put people on the phone, and a lot of things change. The inferences, maybe the caller is listening closely and wants to know, what is this person hoping to get out of my answers? And so they change the answers, maybe even lie. I'm just saying. So polls are always subject to be wrong. We see it happen all the time. But on the most part, people like Gallup, they get it right pretty much all the time, or at least in the ballpark. I think it's safe to say, (laughs) I'm just saying, I think it's safe to say that Joe Biden is not well thought of by many of the American people. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, it is what it is, and we can't do it. Uh, People are wondering today, they're asking every day, where's Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema, a Democrat? But she's one of those that's right in the middle, and she caucuses pretty awfully, often with her compadre from West Virginia, Joe Manchin. Where is she on this big spending bill? She finally came out yesterday and she said, I am not going to say if I support it until the parliamentarian goes through the process and gives us his findings on whether this bill meets constitutional muster based on the rules of the Senate for us to even consider taking up. I respect her a lot for that. I really do. Even if I disagree with many of the things that she's done and not done in the past as a Democrat, um, somebody that is in Congress and will actually stand up and say, look, we just got the bill. We don't know what all is in it. If you've ever read a long bill, a big bill, It is so hard to follow because every other paragraph refers to some previous piece of legislation. And to understand it, you've got to go find that other piece of legislation and read it just to get one little tidbit that applies to this new piece of legislation. For even those people in Congress that write these things, it takes forever to get the true meaning of these bills. That's why it's very common It happens a lot that we only find out, as Nancy Pelosi warned us, we only find out what's in the bill after we pass the bill because there's no way to know what's in it and get the whole context of the bill in place before we vote on it. We just don't have time. We're the U.S. Congress. We don't have time for that minutiae. If they put it together and they're among us, everything in it ought to be good, right? That's exactly the way they feel. Seriously. And that's the way most of this is done. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. We may not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. 
Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, buy two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply, see store for details. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. <gasps> We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. just tried to reach Frank Lopez Jr. I don't know if he is supposed to call us or we're supposed to call him. But anyway, I'm, uh, I think he's going, yeah, here he is now. He's calling right now. Let me get him on the phone. Hello, Frank, are you there? Hello. Hello, Dan. Yes, Frank, how are you? Good, sir. We are on the air live. We've been uh, letting people know that you were going to be here with us. We've been uh, excitingly waiting to get this conversation. You have yes, got sir. you've got a real story to tell. So, yes. I, 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 but I'm not going to introduce you with all your history and tell people who you are and where you are. I want you to tell us in your own words how you got to where you are. We know you're in South Texas. You're a lifer there in Border Patrol. Give us the skinny on your background. Uh, yes, sir, Dan. So I was uh, born in South Texas, raised in McAllen, uh, Alamo area. And uh, when I was 12, my dad moved us to El Paso. He was a Border Patrol agent out there, uh, served 23 years there. So I followed shortly after I got out of the Army, after three years as a military policeman uh, in Germany and Honduras. I... Uh, Joined the Border Patrol, and uh, 30 years later, I retired. Along the way, I became uh, an ordained minister and uh, was tasked with creating a chaplaincy program for the U.S. Border Patrol. That So that's gone nationwide. And it's primarily to help uh, agents, employees, and their families uh, dealing with the stresses of being law enforcement. Uh, after I retired, Dan, I decided to get involved uh, in the community. I'm a board member on a pregnancy care center, which is a pro-life ministry. Uh, but I also got involved in politics uh, because the decisions that politicians are making affect our 
everyday life. Uh, I was campaign manager for a Republican candidate who ran for Congress. And, and that's when I started seeing the workings of the establishment and how they kind of stacked the deck against uh, patriotic, you know, uh, conservative Americans. And uh, when the, my candidate uh, very narrowly lost uh, out of Bear County, which is San Antonio, we knew something was up with the election process. Uh, that, 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 that friend of mine, Raul Reyes, he ran on later to run for Senate District Senator uh, 24 in, in the middle of uh, Central Texas. And we saw some of the same shenanigans out there. Uh, so that's a side story, but I, after finishing the congressional run as his campaign manager, I was asked to become the uh, county chairman for the Valverde Republican Party, which is Del Rio, which you may recall, that was uh, the epicenter of the Haitian invasion, you know, with all those uh, 15,000 Haitians underneath the bridge out here. Probably the worst immigration picture that we saw was that stuff that was happening there then. Yes, sir. And, uh, of course, the Biden administration and the, I, I say the globalists uh, learned that there is a distaste in America for illegal immigration. Most people down here in the border regions disagree with the open borders policy of the Biden administration. And uh, what what I saw, though, Dan, was that the, the globalist infiltrators within the Republican Party, the, the unit party establishment aspect of this, uh, was hard at work in furthering, uh, you know, the, the, their agenda. And so that's why I'm running against our incumbent Republican congressman who has uh, very blatantly... Uh, come out as a globalist and as I have documented he's involved with LULAC, the League of United Latin American Citizens uh, George Soros funded you know, uh, organization through his Open Societies Foundation so so I'm kind of on this campaign trail where it's, a, it's a one part awareness about the border invasion, one part awareness for fellow Tejanos, you know, Hispanic uh, conservatives who have for many years uh, believed the lies of the Democrat Party. And so I'm, that's it, it's a part of creating awareness, waking people up to the way that they're trying to use our vote to further their agenda. And then and then, of course, now I've got this added component of where I'm running for Congress as an independent because go in the traditional, you know, pr go through the primary process, uh, conservatives get slaughtered, and they get uh, flooded out with a tidal wave of money that goes to the establishment. I, I, I decided that I was not going to go down that insane route again, expecting different results. So I'm running as an independent so that I could give my family, my friends, my neighbors in this district a true constitutional conservative America first choice in November. Frank, 
you um, you're you're facing an uphill battle. I know that, and I'm glad we're getting together because we've got a significant audience that are listening live, and then this yes. show goes right after we go off the air live at 11 Central Time. It's picked up by Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, um, even several other podcasts. So it'll be heard by a whole lot of people. And I want them to understand that you're taking on two giants. As an independent, you're not representing one party, major party, Republican or Democrat. You're representing the people in South Texas that think like you and recognize that even though the Republican Party has uh, in many ways really helped at least raise the understanding of how bad this open border policy is, they're caught up, many of them are caught up in that institutional stuff. You're taking on a big challenge and you're doing it solo. I got to be honest with you. You're a hero to me for doing just that. Um, well, go ahead. Well, well, Dan, look, I appreciate the sentiment, but I, I like to believe that I'm doing what uh, America needs and what God has called us to do. I believe very much in the founding fathers' uh, ideology, their worldview, our uh, Judeo-Christian principles, uh, and uh, the left Marxists have very diligently, methodically. Uh, work to dismantle everything that America is because, uh, uh, you know, worldviews apart, you know, uh, ideologies aside, this is literally good versus evil. And we see it with the agenda of the left, you know, uh, assisted suicide, the uh, desecration of the intent, uh, the, 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 the creation aspect of our children made in the image of God, male and female. This is literally good versus evil. And I've said it many, many times out here, Dan, this is it. This is our fight for our very existence. And so I've, I've pondered many times that our founding fathers were at this point in time when they uh, had tried everything they could. They had sent letters, they had sent ambassadors, they had sounded the alarm within the colonies, and they said, this is tyranny that we are living under, and we are free men and women created in the image of God. We do not have to tolerate this. And so uh, I, I kind of cringe a little bit at the, at, at, at the hero aspect, but you know what? I've had my heroes. Uh, Audie Murphy, uh, a Texan who faced down a bunch of Nazis uh, during the World War II, you know, that great war, uh, he, he displayed courage. The, the many, the many men who stormed the beaches of Normandy went into Europe. They set aside their youth, their vigor, their future, their families, their hopes and their dreams to fight against evil incarnate walking on this earth. And we're at that point, Dan, where every good patriot, every good Texan, every good American has to do what they can. And, and, and I've heard it down here, watching this invasion coming across, people streaming in, Texans are growing tired, angry, false, frustrated, outraged. And 
my concern as an ordained minister, but just as a, as a human being, I am very concerned to see uh, uh, hatred, malice, and even murder growing in the hearts of my fellow Americans, my fellow human beings. So, so what I'm doing is is jumping in the in the in the gap, standing in that gap. We in America have a way of life, the rule of law. Uh, we have processes and procedures. So I'm trying to. Uh, you know, exercise every conceivable avenue that we have to fight against this encroaching tyranny, you know, totalitarianism that wants to come in, the, the, the Marxist agenda for our children, for our, for our nation. So, as uh, one man said, I, I'm willing to jump in front of that train. I'm hoping that others will pile on and we'll all stop it together. <laughs> but, but that is a step, I believe, in what we don't want to see in this country, which many say it's inevitable. Uh, I just don't want to see it, but but we're getting to a point where uh, our government grows more powerful, more bold, uh, more disrespectful of our God-given rights and freedoms. Frank, I'm a Christian. Uh, yes, sir. I... Um... I believe strongly in God's guidance, and I believe God speaks to us in many, many ways. I personally, I, I don't know you at all. I know a little bit about you, but I don't think you would have picked up this mantle unless you felt like God was leading you in this, in direct, in this direction. I've got a lot of respect for you there, uh, because as you have just so graciously laid out in a very nice way, the challenge and the challengers you're facing here, it is really uh, David and Goliath in this case. You know that part of Texas especially well because you've lived there, you've grown there, you've worked there, you know the people, you're one of the people, you know the Latin community, the Hispanics, mm -hmm. and how they feel about everything, and they know you. They also know your opponent in this race, Tony Gonzalez. Now... Before we we start, I want to I want to get into the differences between your philosophy and his. But do you personally know Tony Gonzalez? I just thought I want I, I wanted to ask you that. Uh, no, sir, I, I don't know him. I've only uh, seen him once in person at a candidate forum back in twenty twenty. But but I know his type, Dan. I've seen it uh, over thirty three years of dealing. Uh, in the world of men, in the in, in the law enforcement community with the military police, thirty years of being around uh, alpha types and men, and beta males. <laughs> uh, I know his type, and, and so I know what we're going up against. Yes, definitely is Goliath, but we serve a mighty God, and I believe in miracles. Amen. And all I need, all I need are just some smooth little pebbles. I got you, brother. How can we help in your war against this? And it is a war. You're not warring against a, uh, an opposing candidate. It's a war against globalism. It's a war against big, big, bigger government. And it's a war to protect the rule of law that we're slipping away from and get us back in that direction where we're going to where we're actually a constitutional republic and the structure we live by 
is the rule of law, the Constitution and all legally passed laws by people like you who want to be in Congress. Um, Tell quickly the story of the political story of the last few years of Tony Gonzalez. He's now a Republican, but he wasn't always. How did that happen? So, so this guy popped up on the scene. Uh, we're running the race against Will Hurd, who you know turned out to be another rhino. And so the base, the conservative base, had gotten tired of him. And my candidate, Raul Reyes, and I were running this road, doing all the research. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, this guy, Tony Gonzalez, pops up on the scene. Well, it turns out he was in the Navy and had started working towards a uh, congressional run, probably started when he uh, uh, interned over at uh, Marco Rubio's office in Florida. You know, the uh, Navy uh, and, the, and the military in general, Department of Defense, they have these congressional liaison type of programs. Right. So he, he worked in Marco Rubio's office. And I really honestly think that that's where he got insight into the way that money, power, uh, all that comes together. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking of Nancy Pelosi and folks come in with X amount of dollars and lo and behold, they're multimillionaires a few years later. Anyways, he announced that he was going to run for Congressional District 35 and Will Hurd resigns and lo and behold, Tony Gonzalez, after saying he had come back after 20 years, he was going to fight for his family, his friends. He had seen nothing change after 20 years of being gone in the military. He was going to fight for his for his district. Well, he does a double, uh, you know, double face or 180, whatever, and jumps into another district as a Republican. And uh, his voting record showed that he didn't start voting till 2018. Actually, before that, he had never voted, but he he did start voting in 2018. Uh, so that was the first indicator that this guy was had had jumped over from another district into this district. So we turned our opposition research on him. And that's when we started finding out these things about him, that he had started running for office while he was still in the Department of Defense as a, as a Navy, you know, E-9 and a, a chief petty officer. And so that set off the warning bells because that is those are violations of, of DOD directives and uh, UCMJ, Uniform Code of Military Justice. So here's strike two. One, he said he was going to defend his family, but he leaves them behind to go to a new uh, district after he was recruited by Henry Bonilla, a former congressman out here who now owns a big lobby group in, in Washington and will heard the outgoing disgraced rhino. And so for those, the second flag was that he did this on active duty. And uh, then we found out he was running around with the LULAC crowd, the League of United Latin American Citizens, which is funded partly by the Open Society's Foundation of George Soros. We know he's a globalist involved with the United Nations, uh, uh, Democrats, uh, the, the left, etc. And so that, that, those were all the warning bells. Then we find out that his, 
his family is involved with the Democrat Party, and Democrat uh, operatives are now pushing this guy uh, with their Democrat peers throughout the region. And so everything was lining up that, I mean, this was an infiltrator, a plant in the Republican Party. And the Republican Party is so desperate to get the vote and what I say partly pander to Hispanics in South Texas. Now, now let me tell you this. When I was growing up in South Texas, nobody told me I was any different from any other Little League playing Cub Scout uh, participating, you know, uh, Dallas Cowboy loving Texas kid in South Texas. I was no different from any other American kid who loved live Fourth of July uh, parades and swimming, you know, in, in swimming pools, canals, and, and, and the ocean down in South Padre Island. It wasn't until I got out of the army that people started telling me I'm different because lo and behold, now I'm Mexican American, Latino. I started getting uh, uh, recruited by La Raza Unida, LULAC, uh, MALDIC, the you know, Mexican American Legal Defense Fund. And, uh, in El Paso, at that time, there was a big Chicano movement. And I saw and I said, this is wrong. This is divisive to America. This leads to racism. And we have to stay away from this. So anyways, Tony Gonzalez is involved with those type of entities operating in South Texas. So that so that's when we saw uh, his ideological you know, background, but then he maneuvered within the Republican Party. They have a young guns program where the first person that reaches a hundred thousand dollars gets on the radar. The RNCC uh, starts helping you, funding you, and that's when he got on the radar with Kevin McCarthy, uh, Scalise, and, and and the you know open borders donors like. The Koch brothers and the Koch pack uh, who fund Americans for Prosperity, uh, the Libre Initiative, which is the cheap labor, uh, relaxed uh, immigration uh, provisions of the uh, of the Republican Party. That's a component that, that very much exists within the party. And uh, he got to that hundred thousand dollar threshold. And lo and behold, the endorsements started coming in. Uh, we were the uh, America first Trump Republicans in this race. My opponent, uh, my, my candidate, Tony Gonzalez, uh, Raul Reyes, I'm sorry. You know, he, uh, he was out there stumping as a Trump Republican. But because of the money and the connections, the establishment, Kevin McCarthy, uh, he managed to get the Trump endorsement of all things. And so he gets elected uh, with, with that endorsement and with the money that came in and some shenanigans out of Bear County, uh, which lo and behold, that, that was in July of 2020. And what happens November 2020? Well, that's a discussion for another day, but the template was out there. They've been using it. But the very first thing that Tony Gonzalez does, Dan, is he voted against the objection led by Senator Cruz that would have returned the Electoral College results back to Arizona, back to Pennsylvania, so that the state legislatures 
therefore, the people of those states could take a look at the electoral college process, the actions of the tax uh, election administrators, uh, county clerks, and you know the secretary of state, and what they did in Arizona, Pennsylvania, which is now coming to light, along with other states like Wisconsin and others. So that was the very first vote, and in essence, that was a backstab vote against Trump, who had endorsed him. And then he voted for the January 6th commission. Lo and behold, it's going on right now. Uh, we call him the Liz Cheney of Texas because he was, yeah, he was one of the few Republicans to vote for that. And uh, he voted for red flag logs along with uh, Senator John Cornyn. Uh, one of only two, Senator Cornyn and Tony Gonzalez were the only alleged Republicans in Texas to vote for red flag laws. Uh, most recently, he voted for uh, Marriage Equality Act. The only Texan, the only Texan, not even the, well, it's still, it's going up to the Senate, but none of the Republican congressional delegation voted for marriage equality. He did. And look, as an ordained minister, as a chaplain, I could go down uh, the biblical path, but sure, let me sure. put it this way. This was anti-constitutional because the state's, are supposed to be dealing with this issue. Absolutely. Very similar to Roe v. Wade. Yeah. And, and 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 thank God SCOTUS threw it back at the states. Now it's incumbent on the people of the states to fight for what is right. Fight for life. Fight for our constitutional uh, values, uh, conservative values. So anyways, he voted against states' right, against the people. Uh, he also voted for uh, the Ukraine bill, you know, $40 billion to the Ukraine Everybody knows the Ukraine is a huge money laundering cesspool. Always has uh, for, been. Always has always been. Always has been. Yes, sir. Uh, so, so all of these are indicators that we are dealing with the globalist, the guy who has sold out uh, his family, his friends in the district when he jumped in another. But he has sold out America with his vote. And no doubt, looking back some point, we'll see that he came in with X amount of dollars. And lo and behold, he started getting uh, money and uh, his, his, his account grew. Uh, another aspect, Dan, before I forget, so down here in this border invasion, the Biden administration, uh, which is an extension of the Obama administration, it was supposed to be carried through with Hillary Clinton, but of course Trump came in and threw a monkey wrench into all that. So now they've had to double their pace to catch up to where they should have been on this trajectory. Well, the Biden administration reached out to the United Nations and asked them to help with the movement of people into this hemisphere and into America. And part of that was the non-government organizations. And so these NGOs have become a huge player in the movement of people. They are working in an unholy alliance with the cartels and of course, George Soros, Open Societies, uh, Pueblos Sin Fronteras, which is open borders, you know, uh, uh, leftist groups. And you've got, you've got your, your cast of of bad, you know, villains that that are are concentrating on the 823 miles of Congressional District 23, which is the largest border district in Texas and the country, and one of the largest, if not the largest, congressional district in the entire country. 29 counties, from San Antonio to El Paso down to Laredo, and 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 up to Milan, Odessa. It's a vast district, but these NGOs 
are, are getting very lucrative concepts, uh, uh, contracts from Health and Human Services, FEMA, Department of Homeland Security, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And lo and behold, Dan, Tony Gonzalez San Antonio office is housed inside an NGO facility, a veteran wellness center owned by Family Endeavors right across the street, literally 60 feet from Endeavors corporate headquarters in San Antonio, Texas. So he's across the street from corporate headquarters inside an Endeavors facility. Endeavors was one of three non-government organizations to receive $2 billion in no-bid contracts from Health and Human Services after a member of the Biden-Harris transition team became a board member for Endeavors. It was investigated by the Inspector General, and uh, they found that one of the contracts that Endeavors received, which was actually from ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, for $87, $88 million, well, that contract showed that $17 million was not used for uh, purchasing bed space in in hotels. Uh, And so where did the $17 million go? Where did that money go? And that's why I've, I've, I have pledged that if I'm elected to Congress, I will follow the money. I will look at these non-government organizations, at the contracts, at the players. Where did the money go? Who received the money? We're going to dig down uh, because uh, much like Ukraine, you know, which is a vast money laundering, you know, uh, 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 element in all this, the non-government organizations, I believe, need to be scrutinized. Uh, because I would not be surprised if money laundering is taking place within these uh, contracts. And I looked at the uh, Endeavor specifically. They're a nonprofit. You know, they're a 501c3 nonprofit group who got a third of a $2 billion contract, no-bid contract, $88 billion, a million from ICE. And yet you look at their money for, I believe it was 2020, uh, $52 million came in. Low below, lo and behold, they spend fifty-one million dollars. They end up with a little under, little under nine nine hundred thousand dollars, or nine at nine hundred thousand dollars. And so you know, Dan, uh, you can you can make the numbers say what you want. In oh yeah, yeah. And there's no doubt, Frank. And I appreciate you giving us that rundown. We now know who you really are. Uh, yes. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, yes. but the love of money is the root of all evil. And these yes. NGOs are just siphons. Uh, and it looks like the cartels are the receivers of a lot of federal money that is supposed to go into the NGOs to be used to help these immigrants that are coming in. That's just a yeah. quagmire. Americans yes. know that it's a quagmire. We need yeah. people like you to stand up in the gap and Tell everybody and let the entire nation know what's been going yeah. on down there. And we've got to stop it. That's that's no other way to th- say it, but we've got to yeah. have people in Congress that will stand up against the evil and vote when it's not popular necessarily, yes. but when it's right. So as, exactly. as we get away from here, how can we help you in your campaign? So, 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 Right off the bat, first thing I always ask for, Dan, is prayer. Uh, This is a good and evil fight. And I am going 
after their cash cow. People make enemies for doing what I'm doing. So I need prayers for me and my family uh, for our effort. Uh, you know, spread the word. I, I, I'm grassroots, man. Look, I, I, I'm just... I'm just Paulo Rivera out here, Paul Rivera. <laughs> I'm just out here sounding the alarm. Right. Uh, but but I I need I need word of mouth to go out. They can go to my website and donate, please. Look, I know these are hard times. Uh, fuel prices, the 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 the, the food chain, you know, the the the, uh, the 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 price of fuel is going through the roof through the roof. And so I understand. I'm asking people to take money out of their wallet off their table, out of their gas tank, but every little bit helps. I'm, I'm grateful for the $5 donations as much as, as the larger donations. What you can find that at, at, yeah, at www.frank4cd23.com. Yeah, yeah, Frank4, the number 4, cd23.com. Frank4cd23.com. I'm writing it and, down. I'm writing it down. We'll put it up on our website so everybody will see. We are going to support that, you, my friend. I, I I appreciate that, Dan. And the other thing they can do is they can go to my Facebook page where I I broadcast live events on the border at Frank Lopez Jr. U.S. Border Patriot. Frank Lopez Jr. U.S. Border Patriot. And I, I'm down here filming whether it's a non-government organizations or people crossing the river uh, or any aspect of life on the border, uh, people need to know that we are the the front door uh, to this invasion. And, and we need, we're need we supposed to secure that front door. Absolutely. But, but the Biden administration and complicit globalists in the Republican Party are aiding and abetting this invasion. Frank, I appreciate you so much for coming along and telling us your story. Yeah, you're, you've got a big job ahead, but God is God. God led you into this. God's got a plan for this, and we're going to believe. We're going to believe with you. Anytime you need to spread something specific, we've got a large Texas audience. Uh, feel free to call, and we'll talk about it. We'll put you in touch with people that may be able to help you in different areas. But we want you to be successful because you've got what that district, District 23, needs. And God's got you. That's Amen. a great That's a great combination. Thank you, brother, for being with us. Thank you, Dan. God bless you. Have a great day. You too. Hi, Tom Bodette, quote, checking in on my smartphone. Everyone's checking in nowadays at airports, restaurants, appointments with certain medical specialists. Seriously, people, TMI. Anyway, thanks to the Motel 6 mobile app, you can book a clean, comfortable room at Motel 6 on your smartphone and get a great rate. Then when you get to Motel 6, you can check in after you check in. Your friends will be totes jealous. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. What can milk do? Well, it can turn you into a morning person. It can help fuel some pretty tough stuff. And it can definitely make cartoons funnier. No, it can't. Oh, well, it can have a little edge. But come on, even kitties love it. It'll keep up with you at any age. It makes engines whirr. And creme brulee, cremey. It's one of the easiest labels you'll ever read. And anything that makes this happen is pretty special. In fact, what can't milk do? It seems like every summer starts with a song. 
Maybe it's one we heard on the radio during our morning drive. Or maybe it was playing in the cafe we ducked into for lunch. Wherever they catch us, certain songs seem to take us away. Songs of waves and sand, of forests and hillsides, of growing up and growing old. Songs that get in our heads and make us smile as we hum them to ourselves. Songs of the sun coming up and the ragtop going down. Of friends we just met and the ones we'll have for life. Songs that define the moments, like the ones we find in Michigan, where we take our someday list and start to check things off. A day spent gliding on a sailboat, floating on a pontoon, and climbing over that next hill. A rhythm that takes us somewhere better, somewhere like pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. In a world of change, one thing remains constant. The bedrock of truth. Welcome to the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Our thanks to Frank Lopez coming on and giving us the skinny what's happening down in South Texas on the border in the upcoming election, Congressional District 23. And uh, our prayers are with him. We hope he can push through and just shine a light of truth so that people in that district can see who he really is and what uh, the opposition really is. So maybe they'll push Frank to the top. Well, in other news, House Speaker Pelosi, she's in Taiwan. She got there late this evening, their time, which is happening about right now. And uh, she's going in defiance of the Biden administration's and China's warnings not to be there. So what does this mean historically? Well, it's the first time in 25 years that a U.S. official of her level went to Taiwan. A lot of other members in government, Congress especially, will go there, but never a House speaker since uh, uh, Newt Gingrich went the last time back in 1997. Our congressional delegation's visit to Taiwan honors America's unwaving commitment to supporting Taiwan's vibrant democracy. That's a statement from Pelosi. Our discussions with Taiwan leadership is going to focus on reaffirming our support for our partner and on promoting our shared interest, including advancing a free and open Indo-Pacific region. America's solidarity with the 23 million people of Taiwan is more important today than ever as the world faces a choice between autocracy and and democracy. Now, please understand this. You've heard the term the one China philosophy. That's an agreement that was made decades ago. And that agreement says that in consideration of things to do with the Chinese mainland, Taiwan is to be considered part of that, even though it's not part of China. I got to be honest with you. I don't understand the reasoning for doing that, coming up with that agreement, because the people of Taiwan don't want to be a part of China. They're independent. They've always been independent, and uh, they want it to stay that way. It used to be called Formosa. Um, all that being said, I mean, it's just a few miles away. One of the biggest armies on the planet is there. And I mean, if, if, if China really wants to go down that road, Probably in 30 minutes, they could destroy Taiwan. But they want Taiwan. Let me tell you something you may not realize. The majority, 
the majority of computer chips that are used in the United States, a huge majority, come from Taiwan. Those are the most advanced. Um, that whole computer business, the whole clump of the different variations of that, they dominate Taiwan. And so the Chinese want that. They want to take control of that because Taiwan has a lot of stuff that China doesn't have. And many people, many people with much more uh, inside information than I have, they feel like China, it's imminent, it's going to happen. And China's kind of uh, flexing its muscles to watch how the world responds when they flex their muscles about going on and taking Taiwan. So I'm not sure what uh, Nancy Pelosi's visit is going to do there other than hack off Xi Jinping. I mean, all the blustery out yesterday, they, they put out videos of their missiles taking down drones and stuff like that, kind of making or trying to make Speaker Pelosi think, your plane is coming around our way and we're, we've, we've got every capability of taking you out. That would be a big mistake. But anyway, Nancy's there. We're going to have to see what happens. We've got some bomb threats at Taiwan airports ahead of Nancy's visit. Major airports got nine threats, including bomb threats. Anonymous reports later corroborated by individuals that are in the middle of it have for weeks predicted that there was going to be trouble like this if she goes to Asia. Now, let me tell you the big thing that's coming out of this. If you watch the Biden administration and the way Joe Biden has handled Xi Jinping and China, it is every day more and more obvious that Joe is obligated to China. And Joe never came out, never made any kind of public statement about Nancy going to Taiwan he never made any big statement about Nancy not going to Taiwan. He basically said he left it up to her. But if you put all of that in the context of the way Joe Biden has pandered to China, millions of barrels of oil out of our strategic oil preserve, which is not meant to go to foreign countries. It's supposed to be for the United States, our states, our local areas, when there are disasters there and energy becomes a problem, that's what it's earmarked for. But Joe Biden makes a unilateral decision as president of the United States, and China is always looking for oil. And so out of the clear blue, Joe sends them millions of barrels of our oil. All of those sanctions that came out of the Trump administration that made our economy really go up and grow in the marketplace so that we could finally compete with China on a level playing field. All of those were part of the massive economic growth of the United States and the low interest rates. Money was available for people. Incomes went up for Americans. All of those things that happened very quickly in the four years of the Trump administration Joe has already stripped all that away. And at the epicenter of it, 
is China. It's China. Joe Biden is obligated there. And I am positive that in the upcoming months and years, more and more factual information is going to come out and prove that Joe Biden illegally got involved with Chinese diplomats, Chinese uh, company leaders that were directed by the Chinese government, and maybe even Xi Jinping directly. I can't see Ping taking a chance of doing that. And maybe it wasn't Joe himself. Maybe it was those deals cut between the Chinese billionaires and Hunter Biden and James, Joe Biden's younger brother. But it is the big guy that is at the uh, the bottom of this whole thing, pulling the switches and punching the right things to uh, direct what goes on over there. There are some other people that are pretty concerned in that part of the world about our relationship with China. One of those is Australia. And when you think about the map and you look at it, you see that uh, Australia and China are a long, long way away from each other, each other. But when you have hypersonic jets and missiles, you can make those uh, distances shrink up pretty well. Well, the Australian people, friends of ours down there, they're watching our government, what happens, what doesn't happen, what good we do, what things trouble them. They're a democratic country themselves, and they look at us and try to compare them to us, and they're watching this administration, and those Aussies, they don't think things are going too well here. Let's see what the leader of the free world has been up to lately. Poor old Joe has tested positive to COVID again and has restarted his isolation period. We wish him a speedy recovery, of course. But between his two bouts of COVID, he did emerge to make a quintessentially Biden statement. I started thinking about it just as, a, you know, somebody who's raised a middle class kid. One year, even though you didn't have the job you have now, even though you didn't get a raise that year, the difference between having a job, having a 5% raise or whatever, three, five, seven, whatever it happens to be, in the face of inflation, price of the pump, although that's down every day so far, but, you know, it's like, whoa, I feel worse off. But then again, I didn't get a check for eight grand from the government, They just, among other things. Does that make any sense to anybody or is it just me? It's just you, Joe. That made no sense to me. But then again, I'm not fluent in gibberish or gobbledygook. That's just one example. I mean, there's there's a dozen or two dozen every day Bidenisms and uh, the Aussies, as you can obviously tell there, uh, they chuckle a lot, just like many of the people on the planet Earth do when Joe Biden gets behind a television camera. We haven't talked much about uh, what's going on over there with Russia. Just wanted to point something out. Yeah, they're still in the middle of the Ukraine invasion, but they're also in the driver's seat on a lot of energy things that are happening, especially in Northern Europe. They've got the big pipeline and Russia pumps a lot of natural gas through that pipeline into Germany and from there other parts of Europe including Latvia. 
Latvia. So over the weekend, all of a sudden, Russia cut off gas supplies to the whole country of Latvia. Now, they're really getting into their early winter months there, which means they need heat. Russia's controlling their energy. And of course, Moscow makes some excuses about it. They're having some little problems in their relationships with Latvia. So what do they do? They just said, without saying a thing, we're going to stick it to you. So they did it. That's the way Russia works. And Joe Biden facilitated this entire gas operation thing coming from Russia, the new pipeline, coming from Russia, going to Germany, and there across Europe. And we told it. We told you when this whole thing happened. And Russia got the go-ahead to finish that new pipeline. We told you that they were going to use it to take Europe hostage. And he's already done it in several different ways. He shut off the pipelines. I think this is the third time. And so what are people going to do? The Germans, they uh, went back and they have retrofitted and they're firing up their old coal plants because they see what's happening and they don't want it to happen. They want to be self-sufficient with energy and non-dependent on Russia. Well, do you remember the, uh, the nomination, the hearings for Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown Jackson, she was asked if she would, if a affirmative action case came up before the court and she was on it, she, she made it very clear. She would be conflicted and she wouldn't vote on it. So we mentioned yesterday, she was on the board of Harvard's board of overseers. And uh, a case has come up that involves Harvard University and the University of North Carolina. She has not recused herself. Talk about a conflict. A case comes to the court involving Harvard University. She sat on Harvard's board of overseers. And they don't think there's a conflict there? I guess this is how Democrats flow. Politically, that's how they flow. They'll promise anything and everything. When they're campaigning, trying to get the gig... When they get the gig, it's kind of like, oh, well, we said it. But, you know, we're, we're in government now. We don't have to live by what we promised we would do and not do. And speaking of Harvard, a comprehensive study by Harvard of the motivations of those participants in the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Have you heard Liz Cheney talk about those people? She calls them the fully armed Trump mob. A very comprehensive study by Harvard. Not a very conservative institution, and certainly this wouldn't be a very conservative, skewed study result that they got. They found that only 8% of those insurrectionists, they're called, are people that want civil war. Only 8% of them wanted to start an insurrection or civil war. The third most common reason for attacking the Capitol, they said, was a desire to start a civil war. Less than 8% felt that way. 
And oh, by the way, when the talks came up about fully armed insurrectionists at the Capitol, and you heard a bunch of people say this, and I was one of those that said it, it would be really stupid for insurrectionists to come to the Capitol to take it over and not be armed, had no guns. Well, they were like, oh, there were guns everywhere. And so what did they do? The far left institutions came out with examples, actual examples of these insurrectionists out there. And they gave three examples of people that had guns. Three examples out of thousands of people that were there. Sounds like an insurrection to me, huh? What about you? Have you heard anything lately from our boy from South Louisiana, James Carvel? You know, it's about the money stupid, talking about Bill Clinton's re-election race at president. Well, he pushed back over the weekend against CNN's Jim Acosta over concerns about Democrat interference in Republican primaries. Have you heard about this? Democrats are looking at the Republican candidates that are running in their primary races around the nation against each other. And Democrats are picking who they want to run against and they want them to win their primaries. So they're spending money helping these Republicans win their primaries so they will face them in runoffs. Not in runoffs, but in head-to-head races in the general election in November. Now, what, what is this all about? Well, they know, by looking and listening, they know who they have the best chance to beat in the general election. So they're going to support them financially. Acosta questioned this strategy about Democrat groups boosting extremist Republicans during the primaries to ensure their presence they show up in the midterms. This has been something that's been talked about quite a bit in Democratic circles as to whether or not this is a good idea. We've seen efforts by Democrat campaigns and outside groups to tilt the playing field in their favor by propping up extremist Republican candidates in some of these very critical races around the country. The idea that it would make it easier for Dems to win. But on the flip side, he warned, if the vote doesn't go their way, you could end up with conspiracy theorists, election deniers, and so on in some pretty important places. So, although Acosta questioned whether the Democrats were playing with fire, Carville expressed no concerns at all with the strategy. The idea of a political campaign is to win the election. It acts in its own interest. I've always had a lot of respect for Serpent Head, James Carville. Um, He's a very knowledgeable guy on politics, and he's always really been good pointing out the realities of stuff. And then you have the CNN, Jim Acosta, You remember him at the White House briefings every day in the Trump administration sitting on the front row and getting in fights with Donald Trump. He's trying to make this massive case about it, and James Carville says, Ah, I don't have any problem with that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just politics. That's the way we roll in the Democrat Party. Juice drinks, sodas, and sports drinks are loaded with added sugars and calories and have little or no nutritional value. 
Sugary drinks can destroy teeth, cause obesity, and lead to type 2 diabetes. Sugar bites. Protect your kids. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country, making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really matters. These people, these places, that's worth supporting. As politics grow ever more chaotic, remember this truth. When you're taking heavy flack, it usually means you're over the target. Open the Bombay doors. Truthnewsnet.org. Your pilot on this mission, Dan Newman. You know, we haven't heard any more about who that leaker was regarding that draft, Justice Alito's draft of what the court was going to do in the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Remember all that hoo-ha went out? Oh, who was it? Who did it? It had to be one of those workers, one of those assistants in the Supreme Court. We never have heard anything about it. Well, it's still ongoing. The identity of that person that was ultimately issued to overturn Roe v. Wade, still a mystery, but the investigation, we're told, is narrowing in on who may have had a hand in the unprecedented action. Around half of those identified as law clerks that are being investigated have been the focus of the investigation, and that investigation was initiated by Chief Justice John Roberts, As part of the investigation, the clerks were asked to hand over their cell phones and sign affidavits. We don't know yet how many of those have complied. The efforts to pinpoint the crack in the Constitutional Institution Supreme Court, it may be complicated by the fact the clerks typically sign on with one-year contracts to work for a specific justice that usually ends halfway through July. So, the leaker could be hit with criminal charges, but here we are, folks. We're past halfway through July. They're gone. It's possible, matter of fact, it's probable, that we're not ever going to know who that is. We may, 20, 25 years from now, we may hear about this brand new book. It's on the New York Times bestseller list. And one of those clerks confesses I couldn't handle it, couldn't keep it in. I'm the guilty party. I leaked that memo. Hey guys, have a great Tuesday. Baby, I'ma want you. Baby, I'ma need you. You're the only one I care enough to hurt about. Maybe I'm a crazy, but I just can't live without. Your loving and affection Giving me direction Like a guiding light To help me through My darkest hour Lately I'm a-praying That you'll always be A-staying Beside me Used to be my life Was just emotions Passing by 
a praying that you'll always be a staying beside me. Used to be life was just emotions passing by. Then you came along and made me laugh and made me cry. You taught me why, baby, I'm a want you. Baby, I'm a need you. Oh, it took so long to find you, baby. Baby, I'm a want you. Baby, I'm a need you. 